I have something to say this morning, and um, now I um, I don't know how to say this. Uh, it's probably not most um, profound thing to preach on a Sunday morning, but uh, I feel the Holy Spirit leading me to preach this, so I pray that you would open up your ears and hearts and you would listen to what I believe the Holy Spirit wants to say to us. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6 and verse number 18, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 18, and uh, we're continuing our sermon series called Elephants in the Room. On the count of three, could you say that with me? One, two, three. I mean, shout it out one more time. One, two, three. Elephants in the room. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning with verse number 18. Flee from sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Look at verse number 18. Flee from sexual immorality. Flee from sexual immorality. Today I want to talk about another elephant in the room. And this is a big topic and I will not get done with it today. I'm actually going to finish it next Sunday. So I'll, I will start with it. Today we're going to deal with pornography, premarital sex, and cohabitation. Pornography, premarital sex, and cohabitation. What does it mean when somebody says there's an elephant in the room? What does it mean when somebody says there's an elephant in the room? If somebody says there's an elephant in the room, it means that there is an obvious problem or a difficult situation that people don't want to talk about. It's obvious, we all know it's there, but we don't want to talk about it. Well, my friends, there are obvious issues that's in the church that I don't think we want to talk about, and I believe it's difficult to talk about. And I know that most of you know that there's a lot of issues in the church we don't talk about. I'm sure you can name a lot of them. In my sermon two weeks ago, because we had a guest speaker last week. In my sermon two weeks ago, I dealt with the first elephant in the room, and the first elephant I dealt with was mental health and illness. How many remembers that sermon? Raise your hand. Mental health and illness. Do you know that one out of five adults in America will suffer with mental illness? Suffer with mental illness. This is an issue that we need to continually be aware of and offer help to those who struggle with this issue. So we dealt with mental health and, uh, and illness a couple weeks ago, and today we're going to deal with some more elephants in the room. We're going to deal with pornography, premarital sex, and cohabitation. That's, that's a long subject here. I'm not going to be able to do all of it today, but I just want you to buckle your seatbelts and go with me on this journey. But before I begin to preach this morning, uh, and I'm going to stay primarily here because i got so much to say, I don't want to veer from it and not say what I need to say. But before I get into my sermon this morning, I want to clarify a few things, and it's very important that I clarify this, and it's very important that you understand my heart this morning. Before I start the sermon, I want to clarify, and I, I'm a clarifying person, all right? First, I am not here to make anybody feel bad about their past sins. I'm not here to embarrass you. I'm not here to condemn you. And I'm not here to make you feel bad if you're living in sin. That's not my objective. Second of all, I am not here to pinpoint a particular person. I will never use the pulpit as a place where I expose people's sins. I have never done that in all my years of ministry, and I'm not going to start now. So if you struggle with this issue, and you've confessed it to me as your pastor, then I am not up here pinpointing your sin and I'm not bringing you up in particular. I am preaching a message because I believe it's an elephant in the room and it's an issue that needs to be addressed. So I'm not using the pulpit as a way to expose people's sins or your sin 
if you've confessed your sin to me. Now, as a pastor, I care for your soul. And I'm here to preach truth, and I'm here to preach it in love, and I'm here to call you to repentance. Now, listen to my heart this morning. I want to have the voice of a prophet, but at the same time, I want to have a heart of a shepherd. I want to have the voice of a prophet, but at the same time, I want to have a heart of a shepherd. Say that with me. The voice of a prophet and the heart of a shepherd. The voice of a prophet and a heart of a shepherd. Now, I'm not going to preach on my thoughts this morning. I'm not going to preach on my opinions. I am going to go to the Bible and tell you what the Bible says about these issues. Did you hear me? I'm going to talk about the Bible. So I'm not trying to be judgmental. I'm not trying to expose anybody. I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad. I am a preacher. And a preacher adheres to a book. And it's called the Bible. So I'm not being judgmental. I am just the messenger delivering the mail. I am the mailman delivering the message from God. I am a preacher. You know what a preacher is? They speak on behalf of God. And so I'm speaking on behalf of God to to you from this book. Because God is the person we serve. And if we're going to have a biblical worldview, we've got to look at it through God's lens. We've got to look at it through the lens of the Bible. We, you, we can't judge it by our opinions and our expressions and how we feel about something. If you claim to be a Christian and you love Jesus, then there's a book that we're supposed to adhere to. And this is the book that I'm preaching from, all right? Now, let me say this lastly, and I want to say it loud and clear, that all of us is broken. All of us are broken. All of us have sinned. And maybe some of you are struggling with this issue this morning. Maybe some of you are dealing with this issue this morning. Well, let me just remind you that you are not alone. There are other people that struggle with this issue. As a matter of fact, this issue is quite rampant. You're not alone. And so therefore, there is hope and there is grace this morning for whatever sin may have you bound. There is hope and there is grace this morning. And I think we should say amen to that. Amen? There is hope and grace. And my goal, listen to my heart, my goal this morning is that you will have a healthy, healed, and honoring life. That you will have a healthy and healed and honoring life. And sometimes healing is a process. It doesn't happen overnight. And we have to take the initiative. Now listen to Pastor Josh. The hurt and the brokenness that you've experienced in your life is not your fault. It may not be your fault. But your healing is your responsibility. And you can make a decision to sit and be a victim of your past and be a victim of your sin and wallow in your sin or you can make a decision that I'm going to go on the road to recovery and I'm going to be a healthy, healed, and honoring person. Can I hear an amen? The brokenness may not be your responsibility. It may not be your fault. Maybe you've experienced molestation growing up. And that's very common. It is in my pastorate. You wouldn't even believe the people that's confessed to me about things that's happened to them as a child. It's sickening, and my heart goes out to it, that so- somebody would do that to a child. It's, it's sickening. But this is the world that we live in, and that brokenness may not be your fault, but your healing is your responsibility. Your healing is your responsibility. And so premarital sex and pornography and cohabitation are obvious issues that sometimes we don't want to deal with because it's a sensitive issue. It's a sensitive issue. But one of the things that I have understood in, as I'm studying Scripture is that when God created man, He created man three parts, body, soul, and spirit. Body, soul, and spirit. And when the fall happened, when Adam and Eve sinned, the Bible says in Romans chapter 5, sin was passed to the whole human race. That means all of us are broken. All of us are sinful. When you are born into the world, you are born a sinner. That's why you don't have to teach a child to lie, steal, or cheat. It's already in the child because the child is born into sin. We're all born into sin. We're all broken. We're all flawed. Every one of us. And because of that, every part of us is broken. And every part of us is flawed. Our body is broken. It's flawed. Our soulish man is broken. And our spirit man is broken. That means, since I live in a fallen world, since I am born into sin, I may have some physical disorders. I may have issues with pornography. 
I may have issues with this, and I may have issues with that. I may have some kind of secret sexual sin that I don't know how to get victory over. Because you're broken, and you are a sexual creature. God made you to be a sexual creature, so therefore it is broken. It is broken. You are a soulish person. That means you have a mind and will and emotions. In other words, you might have some mental illness. You might have some mental issues that you've got to work through because you are a soulish person which has a mind and will and emotions, and because of sin, it is flawed. Your thinking is flawed. Your emotions is flawed. Your, 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 your will is flawed. It's flawed. It's broken. And your spirit man is dead. That's why you've got to be born again. And so you've got to realize that when you're born into this world, you're already born a sinner, born flawed, born broken. So therefore, we can't look at people and say, you wasn't born that way. They were born that way. They were born into sin. They are born into sin. And every one of you have the capacity to commit sin. Every one of you have the capacity to fulfill the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. You are born into a broken, fallen world. And that is why the Scripture tells us that after conversion, there needs to be growth and there needs to be sanctification. There needs to be growth. You have to grow so that you overcome these issues. You can have victory over these issues through the process of sanctification, through the process of growth. You remember what the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse number 1? 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse number 1. He tells the church. He doesn't tell unbelievers this. He tells the church. He says, therefore, having these promises. What promises? The Word of God. He says, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all the filthiness of the flesh and of the Spirit perfecting in the holiness and the fear of God. So in other words, your soulish man can be filthy and your spirit man can be filthy. It's interesting to me that we spend a lot of time cleaning our physical body when according to this scripture, your spirit can be filthy and your soul can be filthy. Your flesh can be filthy. Because we're broken. We're broken in body. We're broken soulishly. We're broken in the spirit. And so therefore, we have to address these issues. You see, I believe the church has become silent on some of these issues. We have become more concerned about the success of our programs and ministries that we're unaware that people are silently hurting in the church pew. We haven't really created a safe place for people to heal. The church has become so professional that we are no longer personal with people any longer. Somebody just... Can I say that again? We have become so professional that we are no longer personal with people. We have become so afraid at hurting people's feelings that we are actually damning their soul. Can I say that again? We are so, we are so afraid of hurting people's feelings that we are damning people's souls. We want to save their feeling, and at the same time, their soul is being damned. We want to be right instead of righteous. We have normalized our brokenness to the point that we have accepted things as usual. I've always had this problem, so therefore I'm always going to have this problem. I've always wrestled with it, so I'm always going to wrestle with it. The question is, can I be a Christian and still have a porn problem? Yes! Can I be a Christian and still struggle with sexual sin? Yes! Where do we get, where, where, where do we come off where you're unsaved if you deal with these issues? I'm going to prove to you in Scripture where, where a church dealt with sexual issues. Now, if you stay in the sin and you are habitual in the sin, then that causes you're going to backslide. There's a difference between struggling for victory and giving up and wallowing in the sin. And I hear an amen. So that means I don't care if you, whatever problem and issue you're facing in your life, my advice to you is if you're struggling, struggle towards victory. Struggle towards the church. Struggle towards the Bible. Struggle towards the presence of, if you've got to pick your, if somebody got to come to your house and drag you to this church, let them drag you to the church. Whatever you've got to do, struggle to get here. 
I don't care how many times we pray for you at the altar. Thank God you're coming back to the altar. Whatever you've got to do, struggle towards victory. Don't say, well, I'm struggling with it, and since I'm struggling with it, I can't get victory over it, so I'm just going to give up and go do it. No. We, we live in a society where we have normalized our brokenness to the point that we've accepted things as usual. People, I, I firmly believe that people want help, but they don't know how to get help. Who do I talk to? Who will listen to me? What's a place? Who can I trust? He's never been through anything that I've been through. I can't talk to him. Our society is so confused over truth. There is no absolute truth anymore. There's no standard of truth. Everything's relative. There's no absolute truth. People decide what they want to believe. People decide what is true nowadays. Have you ever noticed that? Whatever is true for you may not be true for me, and whatever is true for me may not be true for you. And so therefore, we, we don't have a standard of truth. And when there is no standard of truth, there is, there is no standard to follow. And there, therefore, when there's no standard, there is perversion, and everybody does whatever is right in their own eyes. It kind of reminds me of Judges chapter 17, verse 6. Judges chapter 17, verse 6. The Bible says, In those days there was no king, and everybody did what was right in their own eyes. Isn't that what's happening nowadays? Everybody is doing what's right in their own eyes. There's no standard of truth. What's right for you may not be right for me. I'll live the life I want to live. I'm not going to answer to you. And that's exactly what's happening here. But as a church, we've got to get back to having a biblical mindset that we don't follow our feelings, we don't follow our opinions, we don't follow the culture, we don't follow society, we follow what the Bible says about the issue. Now I know you all ain't clapping here, but I'm going to preach the truth. I said we've got to get back to what the Bible says about these issues. Can I hear an Amen. So, great confusion is, how can it be wrong if I was born this way? What's wrong with me living with someone? I'm not hurting anyone. What's wrong with having sex outside of marriage? I need to have sex. Well, I have survived, church. I've survived. Now, has it been hard? Yes, it's very hard. But I'm an example that you can do it. By the grace of God, you can do it. It's my right, my body. You can't tell me what to do with my body. Who are you to tell me what to believe? Who are you to tell me how to live my life? I'll marry who I want to marry. What's true for you may not be true for me. And so therefore Christians have adopted an American mindset instead of a biblical mindset. That's what America thinks. But the church, ecclesia, means to be called out. The church lives in the world, but it's not of the world. The church is a nation in a nation. The church is a people within a people. The church is a community within a community. We don't act like the world, talk like the world, think like the world, dress like the world. We are a people within a people, a nation within a nation. We are called out from among the world. We're different. You don't think like the world. You don't educate your children like the world. You don't, you, no, no, we, we're different. And we've got to address these issues with truth. We've got to address with love. Because these are sensitive issues. And I am not saying that this is not real issues. These are real issues. These are sensitive issues. And I believe the church has done a horrible job addressing these issues. Because we pointed our finger and acted like we were holier than thou, like we'd never had an issue with any of it. Which, according to statistics, 
82% of Americans, including Christians, George Barna, has premarital sex. 82%. That means the majority of you in here has probably had premarital sex. The majority. So it's, it's, it's an elephant in the room. It's something we know it kind of happens, but we don't want to talk about it. We have to address these issues. We have to address it in grace and truth. There's forgiveness, there's hope, but we have to have a biblical mindset. If you've committed these sins, there's forgiveness, there's hope, reconciliation, praise God. But you need to be aware of how to address it to the future generation. The church has the answer. God has not left us without the answer. God has given us the answer. The church has the answer. We have the cure for the sickness of man's soul. We have the antidote. We have the medicine. We have the remedy. We have the way out. We have the answer. And you know what's so good about the Bible? When you read the Bible, that no matter what you face, no matter what sin it may be, no matter what stronghold it may be, I have found that God's grace is greater than all of it. And do you know what God's grace is? God's grace is God's ability to do what you can't do yourself. So no matter what you find yourself in, no matter what the struggle may be, grace is greater. No matter what the sin is, grace is greater. No matter what the struggle is, grace is greater. No matter what the issue is, grace is greater. No matter what the problem is, grace is greater. No matter what the disorder is, grace is greater. No matter what the weakness is, grace is greater. No matter what the darkness is, grace is greater. No matter what the confusion is, grace is greater. No matter what the perversion is, grace is greater. It's greater than it. Can somebody wave your hand and say, thank God for grace? Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, my grace is sufficient. God said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Paul also said in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 8, we have been pressed on every side, yet we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We're struck down, but not destroyed. No matter what the issue is, grace is greater. Jesus said in Luke chapter 10, verse 19, Behold, I give unto you authority that you would trample upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. The Bible says in 1 John 3, 8, For this purpose was the Son of God manifested that He might destroy the works of the devil. I'm telling you that whatever the devil has thrown at you, you don't have to live in your sin. You don't have to wallow in your sin. There's enough power this morning to deliver you. Hallelujah. I still believe in the delivering power of God. Now, does church people struggle with sexual issues? Yes, 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 and yes, and more yeses, yes. How do I know? Because 1 Corinthians chapter 6, don't lose me, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. What does the Apostle Paul said? He said, flee from sexual immorality. The question is, is who is he talking to here? He's talking to not unbelievers, he's talking to believers. Why? Because in the same book, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, he says, To the church of God which is at Corinth, who is sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints in every place who call upon the name of the Lord. Now how is it, now stop here, how is it that I can struggle with sexual sin, because obviously they are, 1 Corinthians 6.18, flee from it. So somebody was participating in sexual immorality. How can I be struggling with sexual sin and still he calls me... Look at it. He calls me sanctified? How can I be called sanctified when I'm struggling with sexual sin. Because it's in the same book. Because Paul is saying this, when you come to Christ, and you become a believer, and you're converted by the blood of Jesus, confession of your mouth, you put your faith in Christ, 
You believe in his death, burial, and resurrection. You are positionally sanctified. That means the moment you get saved, you are sanctified, you are justified, you are positionally sanctified and righteous in God's sight. The problem is, is most of us stop there and we are not progression, progressionally being sanctified. There is an ongoing growth that must happen in your life. You are positionally sanctified. You're brought in. You're saved. He's called you clean because of what He has done. But you have to walk out your salvation in sanctification. You must walk out in growth. Until the end, you will be glorified. You are justified at salvation. You should be in a process of sanctification until glorification at the end of your life or at the rapture. And what happens is that Christians struggle with sin because either they don't know what it means to progress in growth, because if you are growing, you should grow out of some of those things. They don't understand the concept of what it means to grow. We say we understand. But I'm not sure if we... We think growing in Christ is reading a few scriptures, praying and going to church. I'm convinced that you can have a title and not have fruit. I don't care about your title. I want to see some fruits. Paul said we've got to bear some fruits of repentance. You can say you're saved and born again and love Jesus, and, but if there's no fruit bearing in your life, then there has to be a question mark over your salvation. There has to be some fruit. Now, it's interesting to me that this church still is dealing with sexual issue. Look at it, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. The same book, same believers, he, he, he keeps on in another chapter addressing another sexual issue. This church is messed up, folks. He said, it's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and such immorality is not even named among the Gentiles that a man would have his father's wife. How many would raise your hand and say, this church appears to be messed up? Okay, ten of you. I said, how many would raise your hand and say, this church really appears to be messed up? And you know what Paul was saying? Some, there is somebody in the congregation who is sleeping with his stepmother. And you all are not even upset over it. Is it possible you can go to verse 2? I don't know if you can or not. He said, he said, it's not even named among Gentiles who are pagans. He says, it's not even named among you. And he says, and, and you're not even upset over it. He says, are you not puffed up? He says, you've not even mourned over this. You see it? He says, you're not even mourning over this. You're puffed up over it. And how many would agree with Pastor Josh that that is the example of what goes on in the church? Sexual issue is such rampant in the church, we don't talk about it, we're puffed up over it. We don't mourn over it. We don't have discussions over it. We don't cry at the altar over people's sexual brokenness. And yet, it is one of those elephants in the room. This church had an elephant in the room. And Paul said, you know, this issue is so bad. He said, when you all come together, you can read on. He says, when you come together, he says, what you need to do, since this guy won't repent, just give him over to the devil. Because he won't repent anyways, just give him over to the devil. In other words, let God discipline him because he refuses to repent. Paul also says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 9, the same book, now here's a book, and I've already established in 1 Corinthians 1, 2, that this is to a church, to people who are saved, to people who are sanctified, to people who are brought into the covenant, and here is this church still dealing with sexual issue. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 9. Now in this context, he is making a statement that some of you did struggle with these issues. So obviously these people had struggled with these issues in their past life before they were converted or they struggled with it and repented over it 
but you see what's happening here. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 9, you see what happens. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be, see, be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor adulterers, uh, or homosexuals, sodomites, he goes on, nor thieves, covenants, drunkards, uh, will inherit the kingdom of God. He goes on to say in verse number 11, and such were some of you. Some of you were thieves. Some of you were homosexuals. Some of you were fornicators. Some of you were drunkards. He said some of you had that lifestyle. But he says something happened, but now you are sanctified. Hold on, I thought they were already sanctified. Remember, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, he already called them sanctified. Obviously, these people are growing in grace. To those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints in every place who call upon the name of Jesus Christ. You see, my point is, what's your point, pastor? My point is this. Christians deal with sexual issues too. That's my point. It's the elephant in the room. Christians deal with sexual issues too. Why? Because we're all broken. And even though we're redeemed and saved and love Jesus, if we don't learn how to grow in grace, in our spirit man, in our soulish man, then it's possible that we can fall prey to the tactics of the enemy and fall prey to the gratification of the flesh. In other words, we are a fellowship of sinners before we are a fellowship of saints. We are a fellowship of sinners before we are a fellowship of saints. There's a difference between struggling with a sin and giving into the sin and living in the sin. Struggle is the sign that you haven't been defeated. You see, what about pornography? Pornography, number one, this is the only thing I'm going to deal with today, is that just very quickly, we're going to look at pornography. We live in a country that is glistening in technology. We're glittering with gold, but we're up to our neck in garbage. We have become a people who would not dare put garbage in our mouth, but we are rushing and putting garbage in our minds. It is an unseen sewer line that's gushing filth into every state in the Union. It is an open sewer system in the church, and we're looking the opposite direction. In the United States alone, in the United States alone, it is a $13 billion business. $13 billion business. Can you imagine what we could do with $13 billion? And yet people are polluting their minds and their hearts with garbage. It is no wonder that we have to beg, plead, ask you to worship God, come to the front, do this, give. If we are filling our spirits with perversion, it's no wonder we can't get our minds on God. Can I hear an amen? Amen. It's a $13 billion business. Globally, pornography is a $97 billion business. $97 billion. It makes more money than all of the music, the movies, business combined. It makes more money than all of it. It is the number one biggest business in the world. Number one, hands down. Nobody has been able to beat it. There are 420 million internet porn pages there are 42.0 million porn websites. There are 68 million search engines requests for porn every day. The average age of a person viewing porn is 11 years old, which means that a person's first introduction to sex is often porn because that person has no history of sex to compare things to. The largest consumers of Internet pornography are ages 12 to 17 years old and usually is by their electronic device or their smartphone which their parents allow them to have. 90% of children 8 to 16 years of, old, years of age is recorded to view pornography daily. 90%. So your sweet little boy, sweet little girl, 90% of our children are already looking at porn. 90%. 
is already looking at porn. Over 40% of women are involved in online pornographic cyber behavior. 83% porn addicts are men and 17% are women. 2.5 billion emails per day are porn-related. 47% of families said that porn is the problem in their home, while 56% of divorces involved one party being obsessive, have an obsessive uh, porn issue. 70% of men admit to struggling with porn in their daily lives, while 50% of men and 20% of Christian men, women have admitted to having a, an addiction to porn. 57% of pastors, and I also read one statistic that says 73%, you get the point, of pastors say that addiction to porn is the most sexually damaging issue in their congregation. This is the elephant in the room. What do we mean by pornography? I simply mean that it's explicit sexual images that are designed to stimulate sexual excitement. That's what, that's what the definition of porn, pornography is. Now, it comes from two Greek words. The first, porneia, means fornication or harlot. And the second means to write or depict something. So if you put the words together, it means the depicting of the sexual behavior of a prostitute. That's what pornography is. It's also fornication. Another Greek word in the New Testament classifies it as unclean. Now, the question is, is what is fornication? If, if porn is fornication, then what is fornication in the New Testament? In the New Testament, if you look up the word fornication in the original language, fornication simply means this. It means sex between two unmarried persons or one unmarried person with a married person. It means prostitution, incest, adultery, premarital sex, homosexuality, and sex with animals. It's all classified as fornication. So you just don't shack up with someone to say you need to try them out before marriage. According to Scripture, that is fornication, and fornication will send your soul to hell. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1, verse 24, that same word for fornication appears 54 times in the New Testament. I'm only going to read a few Scriptures. 54 times. Romans chapter 1, verse 24. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanliness. That is a word for fornication, remember? Fornication is also the word for uncleanliness. He gave them up in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. The Bible also says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 21. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 21. Least when I come again, my God will humble me among you. And I shall mourn for many who have sinned before and have not repented of this uncleanliness and of this fornication. Paul said, I'm mourning because people have not repented of their fornication and uncleanliness. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, I read it to you, but listen to the wording here. He says, it's actually reported among you that there is sexual immorality among you and such sexual immorality that's not even named among the Gentiles. Fornication, sexual immorality. Galatians chapter 5, verse number 19. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. Listen to the Apostle Paul say it like this. He said, now the works of the flesh are evident. There are adultery and fornication and uncleanliness. He uses the word uncleanliness again. He uses the word fornication again. Who is he talking to? He's talking to Christians in the book of Galatians. So obviously, people were dealing with issues that they had not repented of. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse number 2, the Apostle Paul made it very clear. He said, nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each one have his own wife. He says, if you have a problem with fornication, please get married. And all the church said, Jude chapter 1, verse 7. Jude chapter 1, verse 7. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in similar manner to these having given themselves over to what? Sexual immorality. And they've gone after strange flesh. And they've set an example for us 
Do you know what Judah's saying? Judah's saying, wake up. God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah because of fornication and sexual immorality, and it was set as an example for you and I. In other words, the Apostle Paul said that when you commit sexual immorality, you are sinning against your body. And why is that important? Because your body does not belong to you, it belongs to God. So when you participate in fornication and premarital sex, you are doing something to something that belongs to God. The body doesn't belong to you. If you claim to be a Christian, the body does not belong to you. Revelation chapter 18, verse 3. Revelation chapter 18, verse 3. He says, for all the nations are drunk with the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Same word. Why is pornography sinful? What is wrong with watching two adult people have sex? What's wrong with that? Well, I'll tell you what's wrong with that. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 27, that whoever looks at a woman to lust after her, he has already committed adultery in his heart. In other words, what you think, what you meditate upon, is what you do. The Bible says in James chapter 1, verse 14, that every one of you are tempted when you're drawn away by your own lust. You see, why is pornography wrong? It's wrong because, number one, it creates unrealistic expectations. It creates unrealistic expectations in the bedroom. Number two, it degrades children. It degrades women. Number three, it's motivated by greed. It's all, all it is is about money. Number four, it's fornication, because God said it was wrong. And number five, it distorts the purpose of sex. The purpose of sex is not performance. The purpose of sex is when a man and a woman comes together in holy marriage, and it is a covenant of love. It is not consumerism. It's not... It's not performance, it's an act of love between one man and one woman in the covenant of marriage. So it, it distorts the purpose of sex. You see, what do I do, pastor, if I'm struggling with this? Well, number one, this is what you need to do. I'm going to give you five things. Number one, you must repent and confess it. Acknowledge that you are in sin. If, if you are looking at porn, if you're having sex outside of marriage whatever it may be, repent and confess that it's wrong. It is sinful. The early church used to put their hand to the heart and say, my fault, my fault, my most grievous fault. I think it's good that we institute that again. My fault, my fault, my most grievous fault. Repent and confess. Number two, acknowledge that you can't help yourself. You can't help yourself. It is bigger than you. Number three, you must be accountable to someone. Your spouse, but I would prefer that you would be accountable to them and also somebody else. A spiritual leader in your life. Number four, your electronic device, your computer, your phone. You need to put a program on there where it can monitor what you are watching and somebody can watch or look at what you're watching. And there's plenty of programs that you can download and have somebody as an accountability partner. And number five, you must develop a devotional life. Because if you don't have a devotional life, you're going to have an emotional life. If you're not growing, if you listen to pastor, if you're not intentionally growing, you're unintentionally going the other direction. You must make a decision that you go. And lastly, and it's not up there, but you're not alone. You say, well, pastor, I struggle with this. I've struggled with it for years. I've had premarital sex. I've, I've done this. I've done that. Let me tell you something. I remember I was, I was uh, teaching school and, and uh, on multiple occasions, multiple occasions, I had people come to me and confess that they were involved in homosexual activity and they wanted to confess it and repent of it. They struggled with it. I advised them see a counselor, to see somebody that could professionally help them. Other students would come to me saying they had premarital sex and that it, listen, one preacher said it like this, and I'm not trying to be crude, nobody is saved from the waist down. In other words, the enemy 
is going to tempt you at all possible to get you to commit fornication, and you've got to be stronger than that. In other words, you can't do it yourself. You can't do it yourself. So you've got to be accountable with your electronic device. You've got to develop a devotional life. If you're struggling in sin, there should be no reason why you're missing church. Your persistence in God should be as equal or greater than the struggle that you're involved in. Do you hear me? I hear people say, well, I'm struggling with this sin, I struggle with this sin, I struggle. and they don't, they don't come to church, they don't come to prayer meeting, they don't do this, and you, you're not serious. I mean, if you're going to fight this thing, you're going to have to put as much effort into godly principles, and you're going to have to put much more effort into spiritual practices of the church than you do in the struggle. The depth of your consecration has to be stronger than the struggle of sin. You hear me? has to be stronger. has to be stronger. I don't care how many times you've got to come to the altar and how many times you've got to pray. You've got to, it, it doesn't matter how many. You keep coming and praying. Keep coming and weeping. Keep coming and worshiping. And I'm going to be right here to walk you through this thing because all of us are broken and all of us need help. And we all need somebody to come along and say, I'm with you in this battle. I'm not going to leave you alone. But if you're just going to be lackadaisical about your relationship with the Lord and lackadaisical about your church attendance and lackadaisical, you're going to go down in defeat, my brother. You're going to go down in, in defeat. You've got to get serious about this thing. You know why you've got to get serious about this thing? Because the devil is serious. And you know why the devil is fighting night and day? Because he knows his time is almost up. And if the devil is fighting night and day, you should be in His presence night and day. God will only heal what you reveal. And He will only fix what you face. Face it. Now, this is an elephant in the room. Oh, it was hard for me to preach this. I don't like to preach stuff like this. I don't. I do not. I would prefer to get up here and preach something to make you shout. And I would want to get up on the seats and just preach and sweat. And y'all just start shouting and run around. But you know what? I've decided something. I'm not an entertainer. I'm a messenger from God. And if my purpose, if my purpose was an entertainer, I'd get up here and break a sweat and entertain you and get you all riled up. But you know what? I'm a pastor. And you know what a pastor should do? A pastor should deal with hard issues, with love and truth, because he desires you to live a healthy, healed, and honoring life. I desire you to grow. I desire you to grow. I desire you to be healthy. I desire you to be strong. I desire you to be victorious. And I prophesy in the name of Jesus that whatever devil has you in bondage, I serve notice on the devil today that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, it lives in you. You are an overcomer today. I said you are an overcomer today. I prophesy you're coming out. I prophesy freedom. I prophesy deliverance. I take a hold of every pornography spirit and I bind it in the name of Jesus. I bind every perverted spirit. I bind every spirit against the Holy Spirit and I declare by the Word of God, you are free. Woo! I said you're free. When you, every time I open up this Bible, and I don't find a gospel of avoidance. People didn't avoid issues. The three Hebrew boys didn't avoid the fire. Daniel didn't avoid the lion's den. David didn't avoid the valley. Moses didn't avoid the wilderness. They went through it. Because you know why? Hallelujah. Because when you read the Bible, you will find that it is a gospel of overcoming. They put him in the grave. 
Three days later, he overcame. You put me in a lion's den, and I'm going to overcome. You put me in a fiery furnace, and I'm going to overcome. You put me in the pit, and I'm going to overcome. You put me in a valley, and I'm going to overcome. You put me in Egypt, and I'm coming out. You put me in the Red Sea, and I'm going through. I am an overcomer. I said I am an overcomer. So today, today is not about making you feel bad. Today, you should feel encouraged that you're not alone in your sin. Because if I just read to you a church that was messed up and God still used a messed up church, I don't know about you, but that's good news. God's getting ready to use us. So if God used a messed up church, that's news for us. There's hope for us. There's forgiveness for us. There's reconciliation for us. So you should be encouraged. I see God's redemptive power in the church of Corinth. Number two, I'm not alone. More people struggle with it than I ever thought. There's hope. I'm encouraged because pastor said, if I'm going to struggle, I struggle towards victory. I struggle towards church. I struggle towards Bible reading. I struggle towards prayer. I'm not going to go the other direction. Struggle is the sign that I haven't been defeated. Amen. I'll finish this sermon next week. Next week I'm going to talk about the covenant of marriage. And why that is important. Amen. Amen. I may not have experience, but I have a Bible. That's enough. So I'm going to tell you what the Bible says. And then when I get married, you can remind me. Can somebody say amen? Hallelujah. Jesus was 33, single and celibate. That tells me you can have self-control. He's God, but He's man. He controlled Himself. You can control yourself. Amen.